The American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. This is Jacob Yasser Schneider, editor of the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine, welcoming you to the American Thoracic Society's podcast. I would like to introduce our editorial board member, Dr. Nathan Sim of the Section of Pulmonary Critical Care Medicine at the Veterans Affairs Hospital in Washington, D.C. He is an assistant professor of medicine at George Washington University and conducts translational research on biomarkers of inflammation and coagulation in ARDS and sepsis. Welcome, Dr. Sim. Thanks, Yasha. In today's podcast, I'm joined by Dr. Anand Patel and Dr. Mark Dransfield to discuss a new study that looks at the link between acute exacerbations of COPD and cardiovascular risk. The study by Dr. Patel and his colleagues was published in the November 1, 2013 American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine and is entitled Cardiovascular Risk, Myocardial Injury, and Exacerbations of COPD. Dr. Patel is MRC Clinical Research Fellow in the Center for Respiratory Medicine at University College in London, England. And Dr. Dransfield wrote the accompanying editorial entitled Acute Exacerbations of Chronic Obstructive Cardiopulmonary Disease. He is an Associate Professor of Medicine and the Medical Director of the UAB Lung Health Center in the Division of Pulmonary, Allergy, and Critical Care Medicine at the University of Alabama at Birmingham and the Birmingham VA Medical Center. We will start the podcast with a question for Dr. Dransfield. Dr. Dransfield, I'd like to start this podcast out with a question for you. Before we discuss the current study, I'd like to ask you to provide some background for our listeners. Could you please discuss what we know about cardiovascular risk and COPD and what we know about the mechanisms of this increased risk? Sure. Well, we've known for some time that cardiovascular disease was a major problem in patients with COPD, and across the board, they are at increased risk for cardiovascular events. This risk is probably most pronounced and most well-established for coronary artery disease, and the risk appears to be increased between two and five-fold for ischemic events. Obviously, cardiovascular disease and COPD share many common risk factors, including age, smoking, environmental exposures, as well as low socioeconomic status. But it turns out that this cardiovascular risk in this population appears to be independent of all of those. There have been several theories proposed as to why that might be the case, but a leading potential explanation is the presence of chronic low-grade systemic inflammation. The lung, of course, is constantly exposed to a variety of inhaled insults, including tobacco smoke, pollution, as well as bacterial and viral infections. And these exposures lead to chronic airway inflammation with the elaboration of a number of immune cells and cytokines. These often then enter the systemic circulation and can in turn trigger the release of a variety of secondary mediators of inflammation, which can lead to a chronic procoagulant state, impair endothelial function, and accelerate atherosclerosis. Now, the other important point here is that this chronic inflammatory state can be further exaggerated during episodes of exacerbation, and this may drive plaque rupture and subsequent major coronary events. Thank you for that, Dr. Dransfield. I'd like to ask Dr. Patel about the current study. Your group prospectively measured markers of cardiac risk and injury in a cohort of COPD patients. 
One of the markers you use is arterial stiffness. How is arterial stiffness measured and what is its significance? Thank you, first of all, for the uh, invitation to participate in this podcast. Arterial stiffness is a a very well-validated measure of cardiovascular risk. It was a technique which was pioneered in France, I believe, in the 1980s and 1990s, and has been studied in a variety of conditions and indeed in healthy subjects as well as a sensitive and specific marker and surrogate risk marker of cardiovascular events and cardiovascular mortality. In fact, it's an additive risk factor in addition to the Framingham cohort, proven by a paper a couple of years ago. Arterial stiffness relates to the plaque burden within the coronary arteries, and it also relates to the physiological myocardial work and blood supply that the heart has to do as well. So there's a direct physiological impact of having high arterial stiffness during an exacerbation or even in the long term, for, for example, if you're a frequent exacerbator. The way that we measured it in our group is a technique called carotid femoral aortic pulse wave velocity. Essentially what it means is that you have a patient lying relatively flat on a couch. They have a small cuff around their neck, which encompasses one of the carotid arteries, and a small cuff around the top of the leg as well, which encompasses the femoral artery. These are like blood pressure cuffs from a sphygmomanometer, but inflated to a much lower pressure, usually between 60 and 65 millimeters of mercury. So this is a tolerable pressure to to have around your neck and around your leg. Essentially what happens is that when the the carotid pulse wave is detected by the cuff, that translates to the the software on our laptop, which is next to the patient, and then a a fraction of a second later, the femoral pulse wave will appear uh, on the screen as well, having been detected by the cuff. The machine then tells us the very short time difference between the two in milliseconds, and we'll have already worked out the path length that that wave has had to travel from somewhere near the neck down to the leg, and that gives us our aortic pulse wave velocity. So in a nutshell, that's how we measure it. In our group, we found that the mean aortic pulse wave velocity was somewhere between 10 and 11 meters per second. To put that into context, mine, uh, hopefully as a healthy young individual, is 5.5 meters per second. And we know that arterial stiffness is higher in COPD patients than even smoking match controls and related to inflammation as well. What hasn't been studied before is what happens to this risk marker during exacerbations. And also to put into a bit more context, Aging is the biggest determinant of increasing arterial stiffness in the general population to the extent that it increases by 0.1 meters per second per year in a healthy population. Thank you, Dr. Patel, for describing that. You've sort of alluded to your study, and I'd ask you now to tell our listeners about the cohort you followed and what you studied. The London COPD cohort was it's almost 20 years old now, actually. It was started off in East London by Professor Venchiho, who still runs the cohort. It was set up and has been running for many years to elucidate the etiology, the mechanisms, and study the natural history of COPD exacerbations. In the main, when we see a patient, we, we do three main things. We find out about their symptoms, about their quality of life, about any other measures that we can measure, for example, with symptom scores or quality of life scores. We, secondly, we measure their physiology, so their oxygen saturations, their blood pressure, heart rate, in our case, arterial stiffness as well. And then we take some biological measures as well. So that would include uh, blood testing and sputum testing in our case as well. So each appointment with a patient would be somewhere between 30 and 60 minutes. And we would follow each patient when they're well in a stable state every three months or so. The unique thing about our cohort is that we have a mobile phone. The patients can ring whenever they feel that they have an increase in their symptoms. They record their daily symptoms on symptom diary cards, 
which takes just one or two minutes every day of their time. When they recognize that they have two new or increased respiratory symptoms for two days, they give us a call and we would then bring them into the clinic and see them then and uh, take that opportunity to, to do some research tests and to provide them with some treatment for their infective exacerbation, generally speaking. So, Dr. Patel, as a follow-up, can you summarize uh, what you found? Certainly. So, I mean, there were two uh, main planks to the study. One was in the stable state and, and seeing what happens with arterial stiffness and, and exacerbation frequency, and the other was during an acute exacerbation. So to begin with, we compared, so given that we have these diary card data for these patients for at least a year, but for many years for many of them, we have a validated exacerbation frequency for all of them, which is carefully collected, not only in terms of their symptom scores, but in terms of their healthcare utilization as well. So we saw that arterial stiffness is related to exacerbation frequency and that frequent exacerbators have a higher arterial stiffness than infrequent exacerbators and that the magnitude of this difference seems in our data set to be independent of blood pressure, heart rate, oxygen levels, the presence or absence of ischemic heart disease, all of the things that you may, and age indeed, all of the things that you may expect to be uh, affecting arterial stiffness. The magnitude of difference, to put this into some context, was around one meter per second, in spite of all of those other independent correlates. We also found that taking arterial stiffness readings in our population was reliable over time, so all of the patients in the stable side of the group had uh, at least two measurements done but several months apart and we found that these had a very low variability over time with a coefficient of variation of just under 6% and an intra-class correlation and an inter-item correlation of just under 0.8. So quite reliable measures over time. And that was kind of the groundwork to do the study into what happens during an acute exacerbation so we could be sure that any changes that we saw during an acute exacerbation were the result of, of that event rather than of just the natural background variability. What we found when uh, we measured arterial stiffness acutely at exacerbation, which on average were 90 days after the preceding baseline, was that arterial stiffness acutely increased by in the region of 1.2 meters per second on average. We also found that this increase was prolonged in those that we found to have airway infection. Airway infection in our study we've defined as the presence of bacterial DNA or RNA from human rhinovirus. So the bacterial DNA we looked for were three typical bacterial pathogens, Streptococcus pneumoniae, Haemophilus influenzae, and Marxella catarralis. So this doesn't encompass all of the potential infections that could affect a COPD patient, but certainly four of the, the main etiological triggers of exacerbations that we found. So the arterial stiffness was much higher in those who we found evidence of airway infection during an exacerbation, and also the cardiac biomarkers, which we've not yet mentioned, troponin and N-terminal brain natriuretic peptide, or BNP for short were also increased at exacerbation. However, the cardiac biomarkers were much higher and much more persistent in those who had ischemic heart disease amongst our group, and that represents about 20% of our cohort. And amongst other things, we found that the, the change in troponin at exacerbation also related to the, the length of the exacerbation, so we can identify exactly how long an exacerbation lasts for from the symptom diary cards. Thank you for that, Dr. Patel. Dr. Ansfield, I'd like to follow up with something Dr. Patel mentioned regarding this group of patients known as frequent exacerbators. We're learning more and more about this group that appear to be a distinct phenotype of COPD that are known, in fact, to develop adverse outcomes. What do we know about this group? And from what Dr. Patel described about the study, I think there were interesting findings. And how does that inform us about this group of frequent exacerbators? 
So I think you make a very important point here that frequent exacerbators do appear to be a distinct phenotype within the overall COPD population. They appear to be relatively stable over time, meaning that patients who have had frequent exacerbations in the past are likely to continue to have those events uh, in the future. This group has been demonstrated to have far worse quality of life than those who do not have frequent exacerbations and also has an accelerated loss of lung function over time and an increased risk for mortality. All the reasons why that mortality risk is increased are not clear, but I think that the results of the current study suggest that cardiovascular disease and cardiovascular events may drive some of that increased risk. Do you think the findings of the current study provide us any further information about this frequent exacerbator group? Yes. Well, I think that we've known for some time that severe exacerbations are associated with an increased risk for myocardial infarctions and other major cardiovascular events. What this study adds to our understanding is that it appears that even moderate events, moderate exacerbations, can result in increased cardiac injury, as noted uh, in the study by both the serum biomarkers as well as the increased arterial stiffness, and that this might be particularly problematic during infectious episodes. And so, in addition to their ongoing risk for respiratory events, it appears that the frequent exacerbators may also be at ongoing risk for uh, cumulative cardiac injury. Thank you, Dr. Dransfield. I'd like to follow up Dr. Patel regarding something Dr. Dransfield alluded to earlier in the podcast, regarding the role of inflammation and link between COPD and cardiovascular disease that you know, obviously many of us are very interested in and trying to understand more clearly. I'd ask you a couple of things about this. One, were you able to analyze whether you know, the COPD regimen at the time of admission had any impact on any of your markers like arterial stiffness, you know, for example, whether the presence or absence of inhaled steroids had any effect. And you also did things like measure sputum interleukin-6 levels, uh, as well as you alluded to evaluating the effect of infectious causes of exacerbation on arterial stiffness. So I wonder, after reviewing what your study findings, what do you think uh, regarding inflammation and arterial stiffness, and, and if you feel like you've discovered uh, some things that, that surprised you? It's an excellent question. Just to clarify about our study, all of our patients were outpatients. None of these patients required hospital admission for this event. So they all went home after we'd seen them in the clinic. The initial measures at exacerbation were given prior to any systemic therapy with corticosteroids or antibiotics. All of the follow-up measures were done, obviously, after the patients had been treated. And in fact, all of the 55 exacerbations that we treated had treatment with either antibiotics and or corticosteroids as well. We were unable to pick out whether treatment with antibiotics or steroids uh, had any influence over the clinical course of what happened later on in the exacerbation because they were all given either or both of those treatments. So there were very few that had only antibiotics and only steroids uh, and not enough to pick out any, any pattern, certainly. So from that point of view, we didn't make any headway in particular. In terms of your question about inflammation and cardiovascular risk, that's an excellent point as well. Everyone uh, has talked about chronic low-grade systemic inflammation, and I think cardiovascular risk is not something that is static over time. It does tend to wax and wane. So, for example, at times of major emotional events or major crises or major surgery, for example, we know that cardiovascular risk spikes during that time from an epidemiologic point of view. 
and we know from epidemiologic studies that also happens during COPD exacerbations. And what we've managed to pick out is actually the airway infection, which is also a, a high-risk time period for cardiovascular events, is related to arterial stiffness. That's not been shown before. So we're excited and pleased that we, could, that we found that. Uh, we're also excited and pleased that we found a, a relationship between, uh, as you mentioned, sputum interleukin-6 and arterial stiffness at exacerbations. That's something that's very difficult to do given the heterogeneity and the, and the dilution factor that's involved in any, any research to do with sputum. So that's a novel thing, linking an acute airway problem with something that happens in the end organ, so arterial stiffness and cardiac biomarks as well. So that was exciting and new. And Dr. Patel, another follow-up. Regarding the uh, cardiac biomarkers you mentioned, they, were, they had a higher and more prolonged elevation during the acute exacerbations and recovery in, in these COPD patients with known ischemic heart disease. I guess the thing we always wonder about when we're looking at statistical values of uh, biomarkers would be whether there's clinical significance. So I was wondering, were there any adverse clinical outcomes and what your thought is regarding the clinical significance of these findings? It's a very good question. It's really important to note that none of the patients had symptoms of an acute coronary syndrome, for example, or, or of heart failure. These were patients who fulfilled criteria for exacerbations of COPD, so in terms of their increased breathlessness sputum volume, sputum parlance. None of them presented with, with typical cardiac symptoms, uh, although some of those symptoms, of course, uh, are shared amongst uh, cardiopulmonary diseases. The clinical significance of the rises that we've seen is, uh, is a difficult one to pin down exactly. What we do know is that even in other studies, even small rises in troponin and BNP are very highly clinically significant and predictive markers of mortality at 30 days and even longer. So the rises to the extent that we've seen in this study during a community-treated exacerbation of COPD are equivalent to some of the rises that we've seen in hospitalized patients where the levels of troponin and BNP are very clearly and independently mark out a risk factor for mortality. So Dr. Dransfield, I'd ask you if your comment regarding some of the limitations of the study, and, and obviously any study will have some limitations, but what are some of the important takeaways from the trial? Well, I think this is a very well-done study with multiple detailed assessments over time. Probably the most notable limitation, which is in part related to that, the complexity of the assessments that were made is the relatively small sample size. That probably explains why uh, the investigators did not find some relationships that you might expect between arterial stiffness and, for example, blood pressure. But consequent to the relatively small sample size and the study design itself, we're really not able to definitively prove a cause and effect relationship between pulmonary and systemic inflammation and increased arterial stiffness. That said, I think there are a number of important takeaways. Uh, some of this we've already mentioned. The first would be to emphasize the fact that though we've known for some time that severe exacerbations are associated with mitocardial embeds, these data were all uh, collected in patients who were having moderate exacerbations, as Dr. Patel said, treated in the outpatient setting. And it would appear that even in those more moderate events, there appears to be cardiac injury that may be subtle but important and most pronounced during infectious episodes. The, the second take-home is that it raises the possibility that those patients who have frequent moderate exacerbations may suffer cumulative cardiac injury over time. And this is important because, as has been said, that cardiac injury can be missed clinically. 
So despite the fact that they're having repeated respiratory episodes, they may be suffering subclinical cardiac injury that would be never detected. And as a result of that, this may lead to a delay or even a failure to diagnose important underlying cardiovascular disease uh, for which we do have very effective therapies. So, Dr. Patel, I, I find the study very interesting, and I see, uh, as many of us do, patients with COPD you know, during their exacerbation, during their follow-up, even, you know, in your paper you described their recovery can be, you know, more than a month, two months. And when you think about these patients who seem to be at increased risk of cardiovascular complications if they are frequent exacerbators, as well as during the exacerbation and the recovery, I'd ask you, does it change how you think about treating their COPD? Does it just make you more cognizant of their cardiovascular risk, or does it make you think about it in a different way? I think one of the things we all worry about is there's been conflicting studies about the cardiovascular risk of some of the medications we give, in fact, for treating COPD. This is a really important point and something that over, hopefully over the next few years will become much clearer to us all. Unfortunately, as you know, we, we have very little in the way of, of what we can do during an acute exacerbation, and certainly in terms of an evidence base for these interventions. We, we routinely give corticosteroids, routinely give antibiotics in those that we suspect of having a bacterial infection on board. Antivirals are not given routinely because they're not particularly effective or well tolerated at the moment, uh, but hopefully over the course of time that may be helpful as well. In terms of giving specific cardiovascular drugs during these uh, episodes, I think that's, that certainly should be an area of future research uh, and something that may well yield some benefits. As Dr. Dransfield's mentioned in his editorial, so that's not cut and dried, and we have to be very careful about jumping the gun and, and adding in, for example, treatments like ACE inhibitors or diuretics or beta blockers during these events because it may be that they don't do a beneficial job. It may be that they're more harmful than beneficial, but th these are all things that will require further properly conducted and careful trial data to, to guide us in the future. So in answer to your question, I do think about this much more now, clearly, much like you. Uh, however, we're limited in terms of what we can actually provide for these patients at the moment, given uh, the lack of interventional data. Uh, there are some studies ongoing, and we're, we're part of a, a study that is trying anti-inflammatory medicines during acute exacerbations, and we're looking at measures like cardiac biomarkers and arterial stiffness during that time as well. So hopefully over the coming years, uh, data will emerge that can guide us much more clearly in this area. Dr. Dransfield, I'd ask you a similar question. Is there anything you would do differently when you're seeing these types of patients in clinic after, uh, for example, an infection causing an acute exacerbation of COPD? And, and if not at this point, because we don't have enough data, how do you see us you know, studying this as we go forward? Well, I think for the time being, this study emphasizes what we already know, which is that patients with COPD are at very high risk for underlying cardiovascular disease. And unfortunately, despite the wealth of evidence to support that, I think it could be argued that, that it is frequently missed and underdiagnosed in that population. So I think uh, step one is to be sure that patients who have COPD and are having exacerbations have been adequately evaluated for underlying cardiovascular disease and particularly underlying coronary disease. In terms of how to move forward, uh, as Dr. Patel said, there have been a number of observational studies, retrospective studies, cohort studies to suggest benefits in the COPD population 
for a variety of cardiovascular drugs, beta blockers, ACE inhibitors, statins, et cetera. I think that in order to move forward, all of those observational findings are going to have to be tested in prospective trials because they're all limited by a number of important biases. Some of those trials are ongoing. Some have not been done or not planned, but need to be, and hopefully we'll do that in the coming years. Thank you both for joining me today for an interesting discussion. This study is another step in better understanding the link between COPD exacerbation and cardiovascular risk. And that will bring today's podcast to a close. You can find the study by Dr. Patel and his colleagues, as well as Dr. Transfield and colleagues, accompanying editorial in the November 1st, 2013 issue of the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine. A complete archive of the ATS article discussion podcast can be found at thoracic.org. And in addition, you can get a free subscription to ATS podcasts by searching in iTunes for American Thoracic Society article discussions. I'm Nitin Seem for the American Thoracic Society.